live in a fast-paced, hectic world where it is easy to feel overwhelmed, stressed, and out of control. How do you manage all the competing pressures without losing your sense of yourself? How do you stay focused enough to not only plot a path, but follow it? Welcome to Master Your Life, a show that offers inspiration, insight, and intelligence, as well as success stories from many walks of life that can show you how you can control your own destiny. Our knowledgeable and entertaining hosts and their guests give practical advice that you can use every day in the quest to master your life. Now, here are your hosts, Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin. Welcome to Master Your Life. I'm co-host Dr. Howard Rankin, along with my host, Leah Mattinson, uh, in the show that gives you insight, inspiration, and intelligence in helping you to a better life. We have a great guest today, but first, Leah, how was your week? Well, as usual, my week has been interesting, insightful, and full of intelligence, <laughs> usually given to me by my family and friends. So well, that's uh, I've just been, yeah, it is good. I've been struck just with, um, you know, we talk about wellness and being well and, and longevity on the show a lot, and just been struck with the number of people in my life that are really, really ill, like with autoimmune um, diseases, and some of my very best longtime girlfriends. And so I look at my life and think, wow, I'm so, like, like whatever the factors are that I have done to actually not be sick for so many years, like, I don't, I haven't even had a headache in, like, 16 years, and, but I've got girlfriends that are the same age as me that are just having horrible autoimmune um, problems, and it's causing not only problems within themselves, but within their families, Um, so I'm particularly excited about our guest today. Yes, I, I should say you've been working with me for nearly a year and you haven't had a headache yet? <laughs> Not even one. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Um, <laughs> well, our regular listeners will know that that Leah is a fantastic advertisement for taking control of your life and managing your health through a whole variety of, of behavioral and, and cognitive and all sorts of other ways of, of managing um, her life and her health. And today we have Dr. Mario Martinez, who is a real expert. He's he's a very distinguished scientist. Um, he is a distinguished author. He has um, had a book called The Mind-Body Code that was a bestseller, currently has a book on Amazon called The Mind-Body Self, which is also a bestseller. And welcome, Mario, to our show. It's great to have you with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And um, for our listeners, you you know, we talk about mind-body work and how we have understood how mind and body are connected. Um, Mario takes this um, to a different level by adding some other dimensions. So, Mario, why don't you talk to that in terms of how your conception of mind-body has evolved uh, and what that means? Uh, yes. Uh, we most of us know, I don't, I don't think there are a lot of people that would still question it, but that the mind and the body communicate with each other. Uh, cognition and biology are one, and they communicate with each other. But then the question is, in what context do they communicate? And that's what's been left out. It's been like a vacuum of mind and body. And what I'm bringing into science is the cultural component, the collective beliefs that people learn to perceive the world, and that has a tremendous effect on your biology, affecting your longevity, your health, your relationships. So culture is really the connection. And the way that I explain it is that there's a world out there that has infinite possibilities of interpretation. And the interpretations are not universal. The culture will take that world and weave a fabric around it, a cultural fabric. And what we perceive is the fabric rather than that world out there. Uh, one group of uh, people, one collective group, and one culture will see it one way, another will, will see it another way, but the important part of it is that whatever you see is what your biology will buy, what your biology will accept based on what you perceive. Yeah. And you've been doing this work for a long time. You're not just bringing in uh, this awareness now. You've been doing this work since uh, for almost 30 years. So what, what kind of got you first curious or adding this other aspect of culture in? Because I really strongly 
think culture influences us so um, much to either be, you know, to the, the good or the not so hot. Um, so what got you curious 30 years ago in this sort of aspect of culture? Well, I went into psychology and, uh, and clinical neuropsychology in my area. But before that, there's some things that happened that I think uh, uh, they, they, they're the seeds that later come out and you begin to have these insights. But when I was a kid, I was growing up in Miami. And Miami was not the place that it is now where it's uh, you go to a store and, and, and has signs that says English spoken. Miami was really not a place where there were a lot of Hispanics. Um, and uh, I remember that I was in school. I was in the maybe um, sixth, seventh grade. And our uh, teacher would uh, uh, talk to us about uh, different philosophers. And he said, okay, now I want you to pick a philosopher and write a paper on a philosopher. So people... Uh, chose philosophers, and I chose Immanuel Kant. And he says mm-hmm. to me something that now would never happen. He said, no, no, look, you're Hispanic. My father was from Spain, so you're Hispanic, and Hispanics wouldn't understand. <laughs> so I thought, hmm, that makes, that, that's kind of weird. <laughs> I, like, what does that have to do with intellect? So mm-hmm. I, did, right. I went ahead and wrote the paper, and he was forced to, to give me an A on the paper. But that was <laughs> a cultural component there that said, wait a minute, you're not okay here, but you're okay there. And that uh-huh. was the seed that later came out after in psychology, which then I found uh, that uh, that it's not the same everywhere. And, and basically, I had some great mentors uh, when I said at Vanderbilt. Um, uh, John uh, Bransford was my uh, thesis professor, and he was one of the people that debunked uh, Skinner, saying that, mm-hmm. uh, that the mm-hmm. brain is not a not a black mm-hmm. box; that the brain has its own interpretations of the world and so forth. Then I was fortunate enough to also meet uh, George Solomon, who was the one who discovered that the immune system responds to, to your cognition, and he called it psychoimmunology. Then later, mm-hmm. Bob Ader called it psychoneuroimmunology mm. because they, mm-hmm. the nervous system also. And then later, uh, Besadovsky uh, brought in the um, um, uh, endocrine system and psychoneuroendo. But what's <laughs> happening is that the next step has to be culture. So it has to be cultural psychoneuroimmunology, which is what biocognition is about. Right, because culture influences people's perceptions and their thought process. And once that enters the system, it's going to influence everything else, correct? Exactly. Yes, exactly. And, and the immune system, what I, what I argue in my uh, latest book, The Mind, Body, Self, is that the brain is culturally determined and the immune system has morals but not mm. self-righteous morals of right and wrong, but, but the ethical components that are accepted by the culture, the immune system will respond to that. So, for example, <clears throat> um, way back, 2,300 years ago, Aristippus talked about hedonism, that, uh, mm. that the, uh, the purpose of life was to enjoy life and have pleasure and for the sake of pleasure and avoid pain. Then later, Aristotle came around and said, no, no, it's got to be more than that. He called it eudaimonics, which was... Pleasure with meaning, that you have mm-hmm. to have pleasure with service, with meaning, with a sense of honor, or whatever it is that, that, that is not hedonistic in the sense of self-destructiveness. Well, now there's a very, very um, recent article and a series of articles that actually are proving Aristotle to be right. And look how mm-hmm. specific it is. There's a, a, a cluster of responses to the immune system called CTRA. And the CTRAs are a cluster that have something to do with the strength of antibodies, antivirals, and anti-inflammation. They check people who live the life of the hedonism, that psychological tests look at hedonism, psychological tests that looking at um, pleasure with meaning, like the eudaimonic. They found that the CTRA for people who are hedonistic is a lot worse than the people that have pleasure with meaning. So therefore, people hedonistic are going to have worse health than the people who are eudaimonic. The immune system has a sense of ethics. So in the culture that we're living in, that's uh, (laughs) a very interesting um, thought because or idea because almost everything that, if you turn on the TV, is hedonistic. Exactly. So I could see this huge (laughs) impact. (laughs) That's a great point, and and we were talking about it before the show, how um, we're buying into these uh, formulas that if you're done with a relationship and it's over, just go out there and find yourself and play around and do all the things you want to do, and then you find yourself. 
what you're basically doing is you're saying, under adversity, hedonism is the solution. So what happens when you have adversity again? There comes hedonism again. And you don't find yourself. What you find is indulgence. Yes. And and emptiness. (laughs) And and emptiness, of course, yes. Um, The worst thing you can do when you're lost is to go out somewhere. Go inward. That's where you're lost, not outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, excellent point. As you were talking about cultures and, and illness, it occurred to me that, um, you know, over the years we've heard of, well, there's this illness outbreak in, you know, wherever in the world. And the assumption always is that that is to do with the sort of physical environment and the conditions. But actually, what you're saying is it might be more cultural than physically environmental, correct? Yes, uh, I'll give you an example. Native Americans, when they were taken out of their quote-unquote dirty places and they were Mm. put in pristine places where they had running water and they had all these sanitized kinds of things, the incidence of tuberculosis went up because of the abandonment of their terrain. Mm -hmm. Uh, So so it's not just uh, that... uh, that you're, you're, you're changing something for the better, but you're taking them out of, of their terrain. Vietnamese had similar problems, uh, Cubans had similar, similar problems when they had to leave what they have and go somewhere else, even if it's better, even if it's a mm. uh, first world kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that tuberculosis has a strong association with, with abandonment. Not that it's causing it, but it's, there's a correlation, a cultural correlation. And I'm just curious about the, it's like the, um, the difference between kind of this idea of, of taking people out of their natural surroundings versus kind of your concept that you talk about or when we talk about beyond the pale. Can you talk about that a little bit in terms of your yes, uh, work? That's a great question because the difference is if you're taken out by force, like Native Americans and other people, mm-hmm. that's different than if you want to get out of within the pale because it's suffocating. And within the pale, mm-hmm. and even now, as you know, the... the uh, uh, the word uh, went beyond the pale is, is, has a negative connotation, which uh, it doesn't have to have it. Uh, the, the beyond mm-hmm. the pale that I'm talking about is liberating yourself from the myth that says family illnesses are uh, a genetic sentence, uh, telomeres mm-hmm. are uh, that's going to tell you how long you're going to live, um, mm-hmm. the uh, neurons are, are just a, a certain amount that you have, and the neurons are in the brain, and basically that's not true because the, you have... 100 billion neurons in the brain, but you have 100 million in the gut and 40,000 in the heart. So you can't call them uh, brain cells anymore. They're neurons. Telomeres mm. are affected by the culture, which I'll talk about later. I know the segment is, is, is uh, ending. Uh, so all of these things are myths that if you live within that culture, you will accept and assimilate the biology of that culture. If you turn middle age and then your culture's 45, within a few months, mm-hmm. you're going to look middle age, you're going to dress middle age, and you're going to get sick middle age. Yeah, and that's true. You look at those countries like Japan uh, who have a different view of aging and retirement and uh, their senior population tends to keep engaged and involved. Uh, I think their longevity is, is high. Um, yes. or at least their at least their experience of you know later years is quite different than if you say well you got to retire because you're past it and you can't do anything after the age of sixty five, uh, which I think is a horrible message and, and it totally is. inaccurate. It is. Yeah. In fact, uh, people that retire in in Western cultures and go to do what they always wanted to do, to watch the sunset and go for walks on the, the o- by the ocean, they live on, a, on an average four to five years, or they get sick within the first year, because the meaning is gone. And because they worked so hard to get there that they never learned pleasure, or the, the meaningful pleasure. What they learned was to work hard, and then later you can enjoy, so they don't have the skills to enjoy. Joy could be very dangerous if your self-esteem is not ready for it. Joy again, can be dangerous if your self-esteem isn't ready for it. I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a concept. Mm-hmm. Oh, because really, it's like we're um, we're always saying that we're chasing happiness. We're like that. That's what do you? What is it you want from life? What you know? I want to be happy. That's what people yes. people say, which to me equates joy. So wow, like if you're, you're yeah, if you're 
lacking in joy. And if we're watching TV, which tells us if with every, you know, um, moment that there's something wrong with us, like we're not yeah. good enough. Every commercial and every show is about that word. There's something about us that has a problem or a fault, uh, you know, in it. And you need this kind of medicine to fix this and you don't have enough of that. And kind of this, you know, that we're getting that overstimulation of, uh, you know, the part of our brain that is telling us that, you know, it's we need to go out and, and be more powerful in the world and be different than what we are when we are just existing in a state of happiness and, and good self-esteem. So what are some of the other, I'm just curious about, like, so that I can see a certain age of um, people that that retirement thing is relevant for. What about millennials? What are they, or, you know, younger generations? What are the things that they're, you know, um, struggling with? that you see culturally here um, in North America well, anyway. Yes. Well, one of the things that I, that I talk about in, in the book is, is the I-self. And the I-self mm-hmm. has taken us away from a lot of the costs of health. Uh, in fact, there's some people, there, there's some, it, it's, not, it's not a panic attack or anxiety, but, but some people do experience anxiety when they're away mm-hmm. from their phones and they're, they're away from the social media because they think they're missing something. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. Also, they, they break away from one of the costs of health, which is to break bread with family without any interruption. Mm-hmm. And you notice you go to a restaurant and you see people with their iPhones or children playing with their videos and there's really no interaction mm-hmm. going on. Also, mm-hmm. um, a, a, what I call the, the uh, digital telegraph, people are one block from each other and instead of, <coughs> or 10 blocks from each other, instead of calling on the phone, they'll text, they'll text. they're texting each mm-hmm. other. Why? Mm-hmm. Because it's an impersonal kind of process. You don't have to really deal with the emotions. You can say whatever you want. So all of those things are taking people away from the things that took 150,000 years and trial and error to uh, show our health. Now, do we go away from it? Do we, do we give it up? No. What we do is we, we, we venerate the rituals of the I-self without allowing them to interfere with the rituals of the interpersonal relationships, like with adolescents and so forth, and I talk about that, mm-hmm. how not to take them away from it, but not to let them to interfere with the things right. that causes of health, like breaking bread and so forth. Yeah, and that's, I'm just reminded there was an interesting uh, uh, report on the BBC about that. In fact, how adolescents, many of them are complaining about their parents' use mm. of technology at the table. <laughs> and it, seriously, and it was like 40% yes. of them said they wish their parents would spend more time with them than playing on their devices. Fascinating stuff. We'll continue more with Dr. Mario Martinez uh, on the other side after the break. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. If you've been searching for fat loss and mental clarity in one place, think ketosis. Maybe you've heard about a ketogenic diet, but have been totally turned off by the painstaking effort to do it. Well, agonize no longer because there is a solution. What could be just as simple and easy as taking your daily vitamins? Visit reallifetraining.expert to find out. Raise your hand and get in on the front end of the total wellness revolution. Get well, manage your mood, clear your mind. Visit reallifetraining.expert now. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah, that's L-E-A-H-A, at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life, the show that hopefully gives you insight, inspiration, and intelligence. Today, our guest is Dr. Mario Martinez, who's got some fascinating, interesting things to say, not just about mind-body, but the influence on culture and cultural perspectives on that mind-body connection. Um, 
Before the break, we were talking about how culture does influence that and and how it influences people's response to different things. And I know you have some really interesting things, Mario, to say about how people handle uh, relationships when they are in difficulty. And perhaps you'd like to give us some perspective on that. Um, Yes, I think that the the thing about finding yourself uh, (laughs) gets really distorted and confused. Uh, Finding yourself means that you have to go out somewhere and uh, and go on a uh, on a mission of uh, eating all you want or doing all you want or or going to a temple, and then you're going to find yourself. You can find yourself at home, especially when you're in adversity. It's very important to not go into the hedonistic path of finding yourself, because that's just pleasure. Uh, What uh, is important is to understand that if you're in the middle of adversity and you use that hedonistic pleasure of seeking out and and distracting yourself, what you're saying to your mind-body communication is, anytime I am in adversity, I'm going to look for hedonism. I'm going to look for pleasure out there, and I'm going to look for things that are going to give me understanding rather than going inward. And when there's adversity, you have to go inward. It's not easy, mm-hmm. but you go inward to find out what is it that's missing, what am I co-authoring here? And co-authorship is a really important concept in my theory, that nothing happens in a vacuum. You don't co-author to blame yourself. You co-author to see how you contributed to the good and the bad of what things that are happening in a relationship. It's so important, I think, just for people to understand that the need that we have been cultured, cultured uh, to think that the answers lie outside of us somewhere. And that that yes. is that entrainment starts ha- when we're very very young. That we need to go somewhere else in order to fix whatever is going on with us. So this that is going beyond the pale for somebody to think differently about. What if I actually could just go internally and find the answers right here? Um, that that is a uh, the self and introspective um, piece that we ask people to think about weekly on this show. Is like where am yes. I at right now? And what is it that I can do to, to change those things? But you don't even, you don't need to leave your bed to ask yourself those questions. And you don't need to go to a guru and you don't need to go on a five-month hike. And, you know, you don't need to break your back at the gym. You know, like all of this stuff lies internally. That We're so powerful. Um, we have such power in our beings to just ask the questions and wait for the answer and listen to that Um you know, we were talking about the uh, the existence of the neurons in all of these parts of our body, our brain, our heart, our gut. And when we when we wait and listen for the answer, um, it's amazing how much power we have to find the correct answer within our own structure. So I love this, um, the, the whole concept of people being able to, like, step away not only from the hedonistic stuff, but keeping the TV off, because that, that's something that happens in our own homes, in our little C culture, and uh, really listening to not the wisdom that's on the TV or not the wisdom that is, you know, somewhere outside of us, but getting, getting quiet and listening to that, that wisdom that's within us. And so are there strategies that you, you know, um, that you see people implementing successfully, I guess, would be the question. Does your book give, do your books give people strategies and ideas for how they can look at things differently? Yes, and that's a good question because since it's a paradigm shift, it's something, a way of looking at things differently. Each chapter has a debriefing at the end of the chapter. And then after that, it has specific applications of how to use that in your life at the mind-body level, not just intellectually. Then there's a glossary explaining the new terms so you can understand uh, the new terms. Uh, And then there's an uh, an extensive bibliography for people who are more interested in going into the science of it. You don't have to be a scientist to understand the book because it's very practically written. But but really the emphasis is on application because I look at and I talk to people who tell me, oh, this this book and that book were really great, but how do I implement? How do I Hmm, do this? How do I uh, find myself? And they don't give you the, the, the information. So that is the key of, of, of the book. For example, let's say that, in one of the, and I'll talk about one of the causes of health. One of the causes of health, as I mentioned earlier, is breaking bread with family. Another one is curiosity, having a high level of novelty learning. Let's say you're, you're having thoughts that you can't get rid of, and they just keep intruding, and, and those are obsessions, of course not compulsions, uh, and you're not addicted to television. That's a compulsion. Addictions are, are 
drugs. Um, so anyway, uh, you you can't get rid of a thought. You stop and you pay attention how that thought is manifesting in your body. What, what, how, how are you embodying that? Let's say that that thought is manifested in your head. You're feeling tension in your head. You stop and you breathe as if you're breathing to that part of the body. And you observe. The mind-body code for getting rid of things is not saying I want to get rid of it, but just observing as if you're watching a cloud and it goes by itself. After you do that, go outside of yourself and look at what is novelty around you. I did it the other day. I was walking uh, through the forest, and, and an intruding thought came in, and I did this technique, and I started looking. Oh, that, that tree has greener um, leaves than the other one, and there's a bird there. When you do that, when you go into curiosity, immediately you go into mindfulness. That is pure mindfulness. You don't have to go to Nepal and, and <laughs> meditate for 20 years. Right. Curiosity, right. the moment you engage curiosity, you're in complete mindfulness. And mindfulness is one of the, one of the causes of health. Centenarians, people that I studied all over the world, live over 100, who are healthy, have tremendous curiosity. They walk into mm-hmm. a room and they notice things that nobody notices, just on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. And also, we were talking about how to find yourself. I'm sure different cultures have different views about how to find yourself, right? Yeah. Where mm-hmm. here it might in the U.S. Uh, it might be well, you've got to go to a you know a therapist or you've got to go somewhere else um, to find yourself. Other cultures may have a totally different perspective on what you have to do. Very much. Uh, and for example, in, in general, <clears throat> there are two really uh, cultural components. Uh, the the main main factors in, in the West mostly for the West uh, uh, and uh, Western countries like the U.S. and U.K. and Australia are individualistic cultures. They value the individual. They value the, uh, the advances of the individual, the, the personal development. Those things are valued in the culture. The more collectivist cultures like Japan and Korea and China are more valuing the group, valuing the individual, valuing the family, and the interaction between the two. So if you're going to find yourself here, the emphasis is going to be finding yourself, finding the individuality, finding the meaning that you have within you. Mm. Go to another culture, the uh, collective cultures, and they say, find the interaction, find the meaning in the interaction mm-hmm. that you have in your connection with the world, and, uh, with your family, and with uh, so forth. Even going back to the immune system as having morals, uh, we know that when a person, uh, or, or assimilating the ethics of the culture, when a person is shamed, we know now psychoimmunologically that they have inflammation. They secrete inflammatory uh, molecules, and they actually have an inflammation as there's some kind of pathogen out there. So if you shame someone in the U.S., they're going to be shamed. The individual is being shamed, and the individual is the one that feels a sense of uh, unworthiness, and, and they have inflammation. But if you are dealing with a, a culture uh, that's collective, let's say Japan, and you shame the individual, the inflammation or the... Uh, molecule response happens only if the individual perceives that you're shaming the family, the country, or the group. I see. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, that's very interesting. I was just thinking that I'm, I'm curious about how people like deal with shame themselves. Uh, you know, this I think it's a real barrier to being able to be introspective because when you sit down with yourself, if you've done something or thought something that you feel ashamed of, you don't want to sit quietly with yourself. So how does one, <laughs> you have some strategies, um, how does one actually get through the, those feelings of shame yes. and um, to, in order to be able to sit with themselves and listen and you know, find that self-esteem? Well, what, what I found in all cultures that I've studied so far on five continents is that the, the cultures can only wound you three ways. I call them archetypal wounds. They can shame you. They can abandon you, or they can betray you. And each of them, I think, have what I call a healing field. For shame is honor. For abandonment Mm -hmm. is commitment. And for betrayal is loyalty. So what happens when you have been shamed? And by the way, there have been studies that look at shame and guilt, and they're very different. Guilt Mm -hmm. is is something that you did wrong. Shame is something that's wrong with you. Mm -hmm. So it's a different interpretation. But... um, what you do with, with uh, and I explain it in the book, that you, shame is a disempowering that causes uh, inflammation. What is the anti-inflammatory that empowers you? 
honor, honor consciousness. So you do, you go back to the moment that where you were shamed, you embody it, you experience it, and where do I feel it? You pay attention to it so it'll move. Once it moves, the brain needs evidence. Neuromaps are created with evidence, not with wishful thinking. So what you do is you go back to evidence of when you have been honorable in your life, independent of the shaming event, and you bring that honor back, you experience it, and that has an anti-inflammatory effect. I've been able to show it clinically. But then for the rest of the day, you do things that give you evidence that you're an honorable person. And it has an incompatible terrain with shame. Indirectly, non-intellectually, it takes care of it. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that, that's really awesome. And then abandonment, you said commitment, right? If you've commitment. been abandoned, yes. and, and, and you... And they're felt differently. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, no, I was just interested, very interested, um, because of my own personal experience that we've discussed a few times on this show. Um, Just very interested in what you're saying about these things. So if you've been abandoned, uh, what do you do? You increase your commitment? If you've been abandoned, and it's interesting that psychoneurologically you have a different response. Shame is hot. You feel hot, and you feel Mm -hmm. like you want the earth to, to swallow you. Abandonment, right. you feel cold, and you feel a tremendous isolation. Yes. And in betrayal, you're hot, and you feel angry. And each of them have correlations with some illnesses that are expressed. Not causes, but correlation. So the end of the abandonment, say, and, and you know you, you, you're in an archetypal wound when you over-respond to something. So, for example, let's say you're in a meeting. You walk into a meeting, and you're late, and your colleagues are there, and, uh, and someone says, uh, um, well... Uh, we started without you. Uh, sorry, you're late. And you mm-hmm. have an abandonment uh, um, wound. You're going to feel a tremendous amount of, of, of turmoil, even angry mm-hmm. sometimes, because you get angry later as an adult. And, and what you're feeling is you're dumping in your total history of abandonment in that, that situation. Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. you do is you stop. You first allow it to be incorporated. Where, where am I experiencing it? Breathe into it and allow it to pass on its own without you trying to get rid of it. And you ask yourself... What is what commitment can I make to myself right now? What is the commitment that I need to make to me right now at this moment? And you make it, and you do something about it. Then for the rest of the day, commitment, commitment, commitment. It could be anything, and that commitment could be to say, uh, yes, I, well, I'm 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 sorry that I'm late. What is it that I need to do to correct this, or uh, what is it that I need a commitment kind of thing that I need okay. to do to help the group or whatever? That changes the whole psychoneurology of it when you do that. Right. And so with loyalty? In loyalty, it would be that's that, the that's antidote. The, that's the strongest for... because that's the most sophisticated. The least sophisticated is, is abandonment because if you're young or a child and you're abandoned, you die. Then shame, you have to wait till you can see yourself in the mirror as a child before you can be shamed. You have to have an, an eye uh, mm. and, and an ego. Uh, but betrayal is stronger because betrayal is really tricking you. It's manipulating you into believing something that, that the other person doesn't maintain. Uh, and then that's loyalty. So if you're betrayed, rather than going out and looking for things outside of yourself, how can I begin to be loyal to myself? And loyal to yourself could be being kind to yourself. Uh, it could be looking what it is that's going on in your life, but a loyalty to something that is self-caring. All three of the healing fields have to be self-caring. Now, the question that most people ask is, well, what's the difference between commitment and loyalty? Because they're both kind of commitments, right? True. A commitment is not as high, is not as exalted as a, as a, uh, as a loyalty. Commitment is a, a, an agreement to do something. Uh, a loyalty is a devotion to do something. It's much higher emotions. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. They, they, they're more complex. Yeah, yeah really fascinating stuff. Uh, great. And on the final section of this episode of Master Your Life with Dr. Mario Martinez, we'll look at some of the practical things that we've just been talking about, the things that you can do when you inevitably find yourself faced with some of life's challenges. So in the last segment on the show, I'll master your life. We'll see you very shortly. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. If you've been searching for fat loss and mental clarity in one place, 
Think ketosis. Maybe you've heard about a ketogenic diet but have been totally turned off by the painstaking effort to do it. Well, agonize no longer because there is a solution. What could be just as simple and easy as taking your daily vitamins? Visit reallifetraining.expert to find out. Raise your hand and get in on the front end of the total wellness revolution. Get well, manage your mood, clear your mind. Visit reallifetraining.expert now. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah. That's L-E-A-H-A at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life. I'm Dr. Howard Rankin, along with Leah Mattinson and our great guest today, Dr. Mario Martinez, who has a lot of really interesting things to say, and you can read a lot of his things in his books, uh, The Mind-Body Code, and also one he has out right now, a new one, Mind-Body-Self, The Mind-Body-Self. Um, Maria, just before the break, we were talking about different feelings of abandonment, shame, betrayal, and how to, to handle that. Uh, are you prepared to share perhaps some of your, because I'm sure everyone has experiences like that. Are you Can you tell us about some that have impacted your life and, and, and use that as an example of how to handle a situation? Yes, yes. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because what I want to do is I want to clarify that I'm going to tell you a very short story, not as a victim, because we right. sometimes people use victimhood, but as a, as a wounded hero. When you're hurt, you're mm-hmm. a wounded hero. You're not a victim. And if you mm-hmm. use victimizing then you, you're using victimhood, which is a way, it's a way of manipulating. So mm-hmm. having said right. that, uh, what I had to deal with is I, when I was 12, my father left. So that mm-hmm. I didn't know that it was abandonment, and I didn't know all the other. But I, what, what, what I did do is that I had to go through life not understanding what was it that I, that, I, that I feared so much, and why did I go into relationships that had to do something with abandonment. Now I understand that when someone that you love does something to you, one of the wounds, what you do is, since that person is what I call the culture editor, they have a lot of power in your life, you either love them or you admire them or you need them, then you wrap love around that wound and you speak abandonment fluently. You either go into relationships that you get abandoned or you abandon those relationships because that is love. Just like food is love. If you have to eat everything, you eat everything. If you don't eat it, you don't love. Some cultures... Uh, then some people gain weight because they're, if you don't eat all your food, you don't, you don't love yourself. So the abandonment was an issue, and then uh, I would realize that sometimes something happened that was totally inconsequential, and I would get extremely upset. What I was doing, I was dumping my whole history of abandonment into that situation. So then what is the antidote for abandonment? Commitment consciousness. So you start making commitments, you start making commitments to yourself, to the people that, that, uh, that are important to you, to the things that you do in your life. And that commitment consciousness gets you out, of it, it untangles the wound from love, and then you begin to experience a pristine love that has to do with love rather than love with the abandonment. And gradually that changes and gradually that heals. And then you begin to realize that what, was ha- what happened to you is not because you're not smart or because you were uh, unfortunate. It's just that these wounds happen universally uh, to, to most of us. Yeah, and I just think that's such a beautiful example. I thank you so much for sharing it because literally millions of people go through um, this breakdown of family uh, now in our in our culture and you know Western yes. cultures for sure. And <clears throat> so for people to feel like not alone, but also to have some really strong tools to be able to understand that they can have, you can have daily habits and practices, which is commitments to yourself, which can be really simple things. I think like even, and this sounds maybe crazy, but brushing your teeth, washing your face, like taking care of your physiology um, in a daily mindful manner and being grateful for, you know, having the physiology and and the wellness that you have. Uh, or the present state that you're in, those little commitments to yourself, which people go, oh, that doesn't mean anything. But if you see somebody who's depressed or struggling with that, they will often, that's some of the first things that they stop doing. Like they stop getting out of yes. bed, they stop practicing hygiene. Like, and, and so it's really these commitments 
can be really simple daily activities that lead you towards that, you know, connecting again with your, that whole self-esteem thing. So I just want people to be thinking, A, there's millions of people who've gone through this abandonment thing in our culture. You're not, we're not, you know, operating in isolation on that. And there's simple ways of moving beyond this abandonment. Um, And also I think it connects to how we culturally have handled going external, like families abandoning one another. And your whole first part of the hedonism sort of thing that we go outside the family um, and we break commitments and then we have to come back and heal these wounds somehow. Uh, And our whole culture has created this um, era and time of family um, fracture. So we're on a big C level, we're dealing with, you know, kind of the ripple out effect of that, you know, last 50, 60 years of that. So can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, yes, because uh, the, the question, uh, the way to look at it is that when, when you're wounded, <clears throat> you're disempowered. This mm-hmm. is a disempowering. You, you lose access to resources. Empowerment is access to resources to overcome a challenge. That's what empowerment is. You lose that. And then the way to get empowered is to have the antidote. You re-empower yourself with the antidote of the wound. So if it's abandonment, then commitment. But as you, what you were saying uh, is really important that it doesn't have to be a major thing. If you... Do something mindfully, like, for example, you're, as you said, brushing your teeth and you're mindful of brushing your teeth. That's a form of self-caring. If you're doing it automatically, it's not self-caring. It's a ritual that you're doing just to keep your teeth clean and hygiene, but it doesn't have that empowering effect coming from self-caring, from the awareness. So if you're not aware of what you're doing, you're not self-caring. If you make it mindful, the brain takes that information and sees it as uh, evidence of you being valuable. But if you do it automatically, there's no connection. There's no neuromaps that do anything because it's just a reflexive kind of thing. Yeah, and it's interesting. I was also, as as Leo was speaking, thinking about um, what that also does for people who've been adopted. Uh, And I wonder, you know, there may be cultural differences, I suspect there are, in how that is seen in different countries. Um, But but um, a lot of adopted people I know, obviously abandonment is part of that thought process. Um, yes. Not, not always. Absolutely. Of course. Yeah. Uh, well, so. Steve Jobs is a great example. Uh, Steve Jobs adopted. He had great parents, and he always had that issue of, uh, of that abandonment. And, and finally, uh, he met his father. And uh, uh, it, it, it's just a, it's a, it's a tremendous wound, but it can be worked. With the uh, with with the healing fields that I talk about, I've worked with some people mm-hmm. that are adopted, and 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 you have to address it. You can't just say, "Well, uh, my parents love me, and I'm okay." Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. like if you say, "I've forgiven somebody intellectually, I'm okay." It's not. It's right. a mind body culture process that's very important right. to incorporate. And I love the name that you have for these uh, healing fields, which is Guardians of the Heart. <laughs> I just think that is just. Uh, <laughs> Just such a wonderful uh, name for this really like small batch of of things to consider. Uh, you know, three practices of mindfulness: you know, honor, loyalty, and commitment. And, and exactly. so, when that's people a really good way to say it. Uh, three three types of mindfulness. And guardians of the heart is really uh, a model that I've developed for relationships, any kind of relationship, especially romantic relationships, but all of them. And basically what you're doing is you're saying, I'm giving you my heart for you to guard it, and you give me your heart for me to guard it. And then we have to know what are the archetypal wounds that we're bringing into the relationship so we don't manipulate each other with the guardianship. So we create what I call a covenant of safety where you're able to discuss things, where you're able to talk about your wounds and, and not talk about them, but live them out and bring out the, uh, the healing fields that are needed. Uh, so not only do you learn the baggage that you're bringing in, but you learn the healing fields to clean up the baggage, and that's what makes relationships so powerful when you do that. They become very vertical. Vertical relationships, and where did I learn this? From people, always the things that work. Uh, centenarians for longevity relationship from people that have been together for many years <laughs> and continue to be excited about each other. And the key is that you have to explore, explore deep inside, not horizontally, which is you find a soulmate every six months. <laughs> that's not uh, that's not intimacy. That's, uh, that's a lack of commitment. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Lord. 
Well, you know, that so we, that. please go ahead. No, that, that we, we over, overwork those words of, uh, you know, uh, soulmate and, and, and things like that, and they really are not. Uh, you, uh, you, a soulmate could be anyone that you go deep with. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could be a soulmate. But if you don't go deep, then nobody's a, a soulmate. So, again, it's the, the infinite possibility that we have with our world to make it something or not. Um, but if there's not one to a customer, and, and if you this is over, it's over. It, it's how mm-hmm. vertical you want to go with someone and how much you're willing to explore your wounds. And not that we're, we're not victims, because that's really important. A lot of people work mm-hmm. them out on their own. We're wounded heroes in the sense that we get wounded sometimes, but we, we're heroes. We're, we're, we have uh, resilience, and we have tremendous abilities to overcome adversity. Uh, so we're not victims, but sometimes we get victimized. Yeah, and we do it to ourselves, absolutely. Um, yes. Yeah, I, you know, I do think of a, a big theme is is this difference between, you know, when you're talking about happiness, are you talking about happiness with meaning eudaimonia, or are you just talking about temporary pleasure, which is hedonism? And I, I think that is lost on a lot of people. They, they confuse that. Um, yes. And... and Obviously, the easy way out in facing any problem is just go make yourself feel better and soothe the emotion without dealing with the problem. But that is not effective in any sense of the word. Um, Including including, uh, immunologically, the immune system can Mm -hmm. determine. And and I guess you were were asking me to give some practical uh, applications. Mm -hmm. Uh, the difference that I see in between joy and happiness is that happiness is something that makes you feel good that is external. You get a new car and you get a new relationship or you get this, you get that, or you, you ate something that you like. It's a pleasurable thing. Joy is extracting the wisdom of the moment. So you can mm-hmm. have joy. Mm-hmm. When, mm-hmm. For example, when my mother passed away. Uh, we didn't do a morbid thing. We were there. My, my children and I were there. To the moment she died, when she died, we went to our favorite restaurant to celebrate having known her. Mm-hmm. Extracting yeah. the wisdom of that, uh, of, of mourning, uh, became yep. a joyful moment. I think that's right. It's interesting. Uh, I'm a big soccer fan, and and growing up, if there was a death associated with the team, they would have in the UK a moment's silence. Now what they do, which I think is a whole lot better, they have a moment's applause. And that's the difference you're yeah. talking about, you know, that let's recognize this person, your celebration. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, I love that. I think it's, I think that's absolutely right. And again, it's what it comes down to is it's not about temporary feeling. It's about that connection with other people that really where you get your joy. And, um, you know, I think we can all relate to that. I hope we can. Tell us something. I mean, we've got a few minutes left. Um, tell us more about where people can find your books, where they can find more about you and so forth, because this has been so interesting. I'm sure many of our listeners will want to follow up. Okay, thank you. Yes, there's quite a bit of free stuff first. Uh, you can go to uh, Facebook, uh, Mind, Body, Culture, or you can go to Dr. Mario Martinez. Uh, you can uh, Google it, and it'll take you to Facebook. Uh, you can go to my website. There are articles. There, there's quite a bit of information there. Uh, it's uh, biocognitive.com. And then there are books. I have uh, a, a, the Mind-Body Code, which is the first one, about how mind and body communicate, and the new one, uh, the Mind-Body Self, is number three, I believe, today on Amazon in psychology and popular medicine. So it's really awesome. very nice. People have responded mm-hmm. very well. Uh, so there's a lot of information out there in biocognition. It's a paradigm. It's a way of looking at the world and a way of living it that actually adds to your longevity based on the work that I've done with centenarians and with the things that work. So gerontology, for example, studies the pathology of aging. I study the causes mm-hmm. of health and the process of growing older. So it shifts mm-hmm. the paradigm completely. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. Sorry, Leah. No, I was just going, I'm uh, really, I'm joyful that you have written this new book, and I can see that people would get a lot of, um, it's just like the benefit of having real, like a how-to manual of, you know, this healing (laughs) relationships, which is, uh, you know, just, uh, it it is more critical, I think, now than ever. I think also that um, just 
the ability to apply these things to ourselves on a personal level, like um, how well do I guard my own heart? How well do I, you know, how much do am I mindful about, um, you know, being honorable and loyal and those things. So just easy, again, daily practices, practical things for people to say as I am committed to um, being honorable. I am committed to being joyful. I am loyal. I am a loyal, per- loyal person. And yes. uh, yeah, just those practical three seconds of, you know, good feeding ourselves and nurturing our, our inner being can change your whole uh, life, can change your whole day, can change your family's life. So it sounds, you know, like this, you know, big, uh, you know, big difficult thing to practice. But when you bring it down into the family and you bring it down into your own soul, your own soul practices or spiritual practices or however you want to put it, um, just the impact, the ripple out effect of this good work, uh, it is that's mind-boggling and, and just a wonderful thing. So I'm just so grateful that you've been on the show today. Oh, thank you. Yes. And, and I think yeah. that the key is that, uh, that it's not one, one fits all. It's based on your culture mm-hmm. and based on mm-hmm. what you learn to perceive. Yeah, and, that, and I think that is a very, very important dimension to the mind-body uh, code, as you say, um, that um, let's not, we have, we have to understand the context in which that occurs. And I think that is very, very important. It's been great having you on our show, Mario. We might ask My you pleasure. to come on again. We'll probably ask you to of come course. on again. It's been so good. Um, and thank you for listening. And uh, from Leah and myself, uh, we will look forward to getting to hear you next, or listen. Hope you listen to us next time on Master Your Life. Thank you for being a part of our show today. Master Your Life with Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin can be heard every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go enjoy your successful life.